Good afternoon everybody and welcome to this very special Parents at Work event, Unlocking Your Child's Potential with Vanessa McCarty who I will be interviewing shortly. Today's, um, today we're going to speak with Vanessa from London, so she's joining us at very early in the morning. But just to quickly introduce myself, I'm Sally Maguire, I'm a mother of two boys and I'll be facilitating the webinar today. At Parents at Work, we are definitely on a mission to improve the lives of Australian working parents and webinars like this are just one of the many ways that we do that. We go out to the corners of the globe to bring you the latest, most relevant information that you can use in your life as a working parent. And across the globe, in London, as I mentioned, it's currently a very sprightly 4am in the morning. Vanessa McCarty, thank you very much for getting up early to speak with us this morning. No problem, it's a pleasure. <laughs> um, Vanessa, I'll give you a moment just to settle in while I let all our participants out there know that... Um, Audio-wise, everyone's on mute today, um, so we get the clearest sound quality. But if you do have a question or something that you would like to share with Vanessa at any stage during the webinar today, please use the question box and type your questions in there, and I'll do my very best to put all your questions and comments out there to Vanessa. So, Vanessa, let's begin with a bit of an, uh, an overview of what we'll be talking about today. Just okay. seeing your slide up now. Vanessa is an inter integrative child psychotherapist. And what we're going to talk about today is we all want our children to be at ease in themselves and grow into adults that are capable, responsible, warm-hearted and most importantly, genuinely enjoy being themselves. The question is how do we support a child to unlock the best version of themselves. So Vanessa, I'll bring you in here and, and just to enforce that point of that we adults, we do need to play a supporting role in this process because we can do a lot of things for our children but we can't do this. Yeah, it's interesting um, you're reading off the script which says to be the best version of themselves and if we read the slide it actually says the question is how do we support our children to have this foundation within themselves. And I think it's really interesting because as parents we want the best for our children, yeah, which is natural, but it's more about that actually has a really unconscious pressure that we're putting on our kids and on ourselves, you know, to get our kids to be something, to go somewhere, to, to do something more rather than actually valuing them as they are and for the absolute gorgeousness that we know they are. Um, and so it's about, for me, about us creating environments that allow that to come out in the child, for them to feel those qualities of warm-heartedness, of feeling responsible for themselves and feeling capable and like the world is a, a positive place to be in and even if it's not, you know how to get the support and help to navigate that. So that comes down really to the way the parent is within themselves because we're always role modelling I think that's the key key thing for me and what I've seen. Absolutely and it's certainly like I think parent, we as parents always know there's no instruction manual and perhaps not something that's innate within us so having some kind of guidelines about how to do that is useful and, that they, and we can see on screen now some of those points that we're going to discuss today, how children learn and why it's important to know by the biological aspects of a child's learning development. Um, really what's going on with children when they're frustrated or find something challenging, which I'm sure is, is definitely something I can identify with. Mm -hmm. um, responses versus reactions and helping children foster a connection with themselves and, and while they're learning. So, so let's um, go into that first point in a bit more detail. How do children learn and why is it important for us to know this as parents, Vanessa? Sure. So how children learn is through um, experience and but the, the key thing that we've found in um, neuroscience and that's really where my background is, I'm not an educational psychologist or anything like that but um, trained in psychotherapy and what we realised probably um, in the early 90s with the MRI scanning and stuff like that was that the brain grows through relationship and um, so there's a wonderful book called Why Love Matters by Sue Gerhardt um, and 
it shows how actually the quality of relationship that the child is and the baby is in actually grows what's the frontal cortex. And the frontal cortex is where all the all the pathways are being grown and connected up from birth through to the age of 23 is when it sort of is called it hardwired. So what that means for us as, as educators and parents is that the most important thing we need to know is that the, the optimum sort of environment for learning is when a child feels safe and secure. Which it's, you know, it's at the moment a lot of the education systems in the world are, are a bit behind on this fact and um, put a lot of pressure and there's a lot of stress in education at the moment for teachers, for parents to get children through these assessments. Um, I know it's quite similar in Australia to England. And so that's really the program that I've developed in the UK is, is the big focus is supporting children to understand a, how their brain learns with these neuronal pathways that line up, etc. And getting them to get back in touch with their own connection and how they can do that so that they can feel safe within themselves. Um, I do that with supporting them to um, do something called the gentle breathing technique and um, that's on my website, there's a link. And um, so constantly supporting them to be able to regulate their own bodies. That's really key because, and this is sort of part of the biological aspect as well, um, there is the reptilian part of the brain which is a stress response system and unfortunately that gets activated if you find math stressful or you find it tricky or English or art or whatever it is that you find tricky, you're the same system that is there for your survival gets activated. And the unfortunate part of that is when that's activated, your frontal cortex goes offline. So you're, how I explain it to teachers and kids is that it's like um, once the reptilian brain's up and activated, it's like having a computer, but it's turned off and you keep trying to put information in on the keyboard but you can do that all day and nothing's actually going to wire up. Um, so what's really important is that we need to turn that computer back on. We need to put our, turn ourselves back on. And the way to do that is through um, the connection to your breath, the quality of that connection, and allowing your body to come back down to a status, a space of homeostasis that's comfortable, at ease, and then you can start to learn again. So that that's... I hope that to me that's very helpful as a parent. <laughs> Absolutely, and that sounds like a really great practical place to start. And is that something, you know, you mentioned then the breathing and you've tied it into the, yeah. the biological aspects. So is that something that, that parents or carers or teachers can and sh should do in the moment? And how would that work? How do we recognise when, when we need to implement something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what I always recommend, um, and this is what we do in the schools I work in, is that it actually becomes a daily practice. So rather than using it to, um, in those moments when you say you are stressed, um, and only using it then, it's not going to be as effective as if you are doing every day as a daily sort of practice to come back. So a lot of the, in schools, you know, a lot of the teachers will do it um, when the kids come in at registration because um, it only takes literally a couple of minutes and then or after lunch which is always quite a stressful time for kids coming back in from playtime and just give it so if you have that daily rhythm of actually connecting to your breath and actually choosing the quality of that breath to be, and um, it was described to me by Serge Ben-Hayen and um, it was it's that quality of breath that you have when you're a baby and I know we're all parents so we all know that absolutely exquisite sleeping babies where their breath, you know, when you're looking at them going, are they breathing? <laughs> are they alive? <laughs> their breath is so still and so exquisite. And we all have that. That's our baseline. You know, that's where we come from. And to me, that is love. And so it's returning back to that. So on a practical level, you can go and do that every day with your child and do it yourself. And so then when it comes to that moment when you're in the lesson that you find tricky or whatever, you have ways of going, okay, I need to do the breathing now because I'm, I'm going into my reptilian brain and I actually need my that to be turned off and I can't continue until it is turned off. So it's about giving them ways to come back. And the breath is an amazing one for that. And then there's also other techniques that they can find that work, what works for them. You know, what works for somebody doesn't always work for somebody else. But the baseline is always there, the, the, 
the connecting back to your breath to and the quality of that. And, and because what happens in that is they are reminded of how lovely they are just for being them. And it's absolutely, it's gorgeous when you have a whole classroom of kids who are doing the gentle breath and drop into their stillness and you're, you're, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's undeniable quality that's there. And um, actually one example of that is a classroom of kids I've been working with for a long time who are um, struggling. And um, they used to do the breathing at the beginning of the day, after little play, after lunch, after the, the, the play in the afternoon. Because they were such such a, um, a there was a lot of trauma in this class collectively, um, and so what happened after a while was generally the kids who find it really difficult in life find the breathing quite tricky and will resist it and stuff like that. And so one day I did an experiment. I said, okay, everybody just just for today, everybody's going to do the breathing, and um, they all did it, and it felt significantly different with everybody doing it. And then the next week, we went to do it again. The same children, one of the same children who always didn't want to do it started to look out the window or something. And I said to him, wait a minute, it felt better and more amazing with you in it last week. And he couldn't deny that. And then he, he did it. And he went on to then take the gentle breathing. <laughs> These kids actually owned it so much that they Myself and the teacher had no idea, but whenever there was a supply teacher and or another teacher, they used to say, no, it's after lunch, we do the breathing now, and they would just take it. It was amazing. And those children um, went from failing in their kit, not failing, but not meeting expected levels in key stage one, which is like seven, eight here, so six, seven. And then their final one here, which is when you're 11, they ended up getting the highest um, results the school had ever had. And that was from the breathing, essentially, and then um, a little bit of the brain understanding. So Amazing. Very powerful, yeah. I love what you're saying about making it a daily practice, sort of setting up good habits or you know, yeah. trying to even out the playing field before you get to that point of maybe really high stress. Um, yeah, and it's, it's your body. You know, your body's remembering. I mean, that's the biological aspect is your body's remembering so you're, it's, you're triggering the positive thing to happen for you. Absolutely. And one of our participants, um, Nicole, has just asked a question about teaching younger children, maybe toddler age, yeah. these sort of breathing techniques. Is that possible? Oh, absolutely, because like I said, it comes back to that breath that the kids, the babies have. <laughs> so it's just, and it doesn't need, like, doesn't need to take long. It's, you know, with, with kids here, I just now just one of the first parts of the breathing is just to close your eyes slowly so you feel the shape of your eyelids and eyes as you're closing them. And just that is quite often enough to bring them back to themselves. Because what happens when we're getting stressed is we're getting into what the world wants us to do and we don't feel like we're equipped to do that. So we start to panic and we start to lose our breath and we start to hold our breath and we get, um, you know, we get a lot of tension in our shoulders and our tummy starts to feel horrible. So what you're wanting them to do is just come back to themselves. And so any child can do that. And I mean, we do, them, do it with reception children at schools, but and often it's if the parent is doing it, you know, if the parent is taking care of them, their connection to themselves, that often is enough. Just stand, you know, just you being there with your child if they're feeling a little bit stressed. You know, we're all biological beings, so there's all it's all happening at a cellular sort of energetic level. That you, your quality of your being, will help regulate them down. I mean, that's you know, with mothers sleeping, that's been shown many times is that the baby actually regulates off the mother's breathing and breath. That's why we have them in our rooms up until minimum six months. So that that's why, because they literally are constantly regulating off you. Yes, and. Looking at the biological aspects to be aware of in our child's learning development, mm -hmm. I remember kind of, sure, I'll admit it, maybe, you know, Googling, you know, when should my child be able to do this? <laughs> that you get from like, you know, little Johnny around the corner is, you know, doing this exciting thing with his hand-eye coordination and, and whatever. So, you yeah. know, how, how do we know as parents what, 
what biological signs, what aspects, what things to look for or what do we need to know about that when it comes to learning? Um, it's interesting. My daughter, she struggled with um, maths and writing and, and reading. Um, so in year one, in year two, she's now in year three. And because I work with a lot of teachers, I work in lots of different schools and um, I got I made a some sort of statement to one teachers who were actually key stage one teachers, something along the lines, you know, she's not particularly academic. And they were like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't do that. It's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> just because she might be struggling now doesn't mean that's how it's going to be when she's 15, 16, 20 or whatever. And they both gave me clear examples. One was of herself as a teacher. She said, you know, she, she's, she always was under the, the radar levels until she was about 15 and then it suddenly all clicked in and she became very able to do the work and became quite an academic person. Um, and then the other teacher was saying her daughter had at, they do these exams here um, at seven and um, she was not, she was well below what the reading level was needed and she felt terrible because she was an English teacher, you know, you know she was like, Why, what, what's going on? And that, that same child now is doing A-level English and getting A's. So it's, and so it really was great for me to hear that and to, to relax and to sort of back off because it's really, I think it's really difficult um, in today's age with all these testing. Um, they're constantly being told where they should be and where they're not and, um, and actually it's the focus of education at the moment. Um, but with my daughter, they, they offered extra stuff to happen at school, you know, extra reading and etc. I said, okay, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then suddenly we were together and she said something about having to be taken out of maths, I mean out of PE or something. I said, why are you, why are you leaving PE? And she said, oh, I'm doing extra reading. I was like, okay, that stops today. Because I absolutely knew and know that you can't get a kid to constantly be doing something they find tricky or difficult. We have to help build their confidence and build their confidence with what they do well. And those kids who struggle in maths and literacy and stuff like that, which tend to be in England anyway, it tends to be the morning subjects, and then in the afternoon the subjects, you know, design or technology or geography or science or PE, those or arts, you know, more creative subjects. And if you're taking, if she's been taken out of that, she's just been taken out of something that she's actually building her confidence again to be reminded of something she can't do or finds tricky to do right now. So I told them they had to stop all intervention. And it was quite a big call because, you know, I've, I've, she's my first child and it's, there's a lot of pressure that we put under us, on ourselves um, to do the right thing. And I didn't actually do lots of reading with her. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad parent <laughs> on that front. But she now, at level three, at year, you know, she's in year three, has, is at all expected levels. She loves reading. And it was absolute evidence or confirmation for me of what I felt is what happens is that our children develop at the rate they develop at. And I remember sitting there with her um, when she was about six and she was getting upset about the whole pressure and, and not, because they can see, you know, other kids are, can read and you can't read, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. And I said, okay, because she walked really early, she was like nine months old when she walked. And I said, you know, walked at nine months old, okay. Other children didn't walk till they were five months old. Some hadn't even really started crawling at nine months old. Some didn't start walking till they were 15 months old. And we were, we were looking at the playground. I said, you, can you tell me, looking at everybody running around, when somebody started walking? It's like, no. She said, exactly. It's going to be the same thing for you guys. When you're 20, nobody will know when you started to read or when you got maths. You just will all be reading and you'll all just be able to add up. So it's, and it, she totally got it and, and from that sort of backing off, she's now been able to, to come into which you know, you can see she was able to do things. We know what our kids are capable of, I think, you know, just in conversation, you know what, what they're going to be able to do when they're struggling. Um, but it's more about, for me, about supporting them to feel how their value regardless of what they do. And our society and everything's geared up to be about recognition, about if you do this, then you get you get stars, you get this, you get that. And every every step of that takes away from that feeling of I'm enough just for being me. 
And you know, to me, that's a global epidemic problem. The self-worth is, especially for teenagers, especially for all of us, I think, that there is a feeling that we're not good enough. And that if you deal with that aspect and actually are constantly saying you are enough, I love you for being who you are, then the learning will take care of itself. Absolutely. Very important part for all of us. It is a global issue and academic competition is fostered yeah. in you know right from the very first minute that they start, you know, attending care and preschools and yeah. and you know, recognition and awards in schools and things. So it's hard as a parent yeah. when that's all going around to keep the focus on, yes, each child is individual and has their own milestones and, and yeah. um, you know, and yes, is, is great just the way they are. So yes, it's a difficult world that we live in. Let's move mm. on to some of, let's move on to frustration and also some of the typical, I mean, I guess that is one of them, behaviours and reactions of children when yeah, they don't understand. Yeah, this is one of the lessons that I teach, and it's absolutely brilliant. Because all the all what's what's really cool is all the kids know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> it's hilarious, and um, from very young, like, yep. So, 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 and no doubt when you're doing homework, is um, maybe getting angry, getting frustrated, or starting to chat, distracting. So they might want to do some daydreaming. They might want to go to the toilet. They might want to go and sharpen a pencil. And this is one of my ones that I do is, oh, it's boring. That's my, that was absolutely my go-to defense reaction to not understanding something. And um, what I give the kids as an example nowadays is because um, these reactions to not understanding, these behaviors, all come from shame. And we, shame is one of the most unpleasant feelings we can feel as a human. It really activates every system in our body. It makes you want to crawl into, into a rock. And we, to avoid that feeling, we go into the behaviours. So um, one of the examples I've got is, oh, I've just lost my train of thought. I, I I know where you sort of know where you're going with this. I've read a lot on um, there's a research in America called Brene Brown who goes into a lot about shame and oh, yeah, yeah, she does. reactions. Yeah, she does. So kind of yeah, what I, um, what you're talking about there. So yeah, I'm not this sure if you yeah, I've got it back. Absolutely, get to have that excuse. Um, what I give as an example for the guys, the kids, is like it's Christmas time and two old men get iPads. One's Bill, one's Bob. And Bill is um, does not like the, he goes into reactions when he doesn't understand things. And he gets his iPad and he goes, well, this is stupid. I don't know why you kids spend so much time on these things. In my day, we were outside playing. And just pops it away and he doesn't look at it again. Whereas Bob goes, oh. He's totally okay with not understanding things. So he goes, oh, I don't have any idea how I'm going to turn this on. And he gets his grandkids to show him and he has a look and he plays with it and then he's and he's up and running. And, you know, two weeks later he's talking to some some people he's played friends with in America and, and he's there's a, a dancing thing in, down the road and he's, he's completely in a different place with it. And that's what I certainly have experienced with the uh, it's boring as my go-to um, reaction to not understanding something. Um, where for me the example is maths and um, algebra, and I completely could not get that. Couldn't get how the alphabet ended up in maths. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And I remember my maths teacher really tried to teach me, and those neurons just weren't connecting. And so I was like, I was just stupid. I don't want to do it. And 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 so in that I completely dismissed science. I dismissed physics. I dismissed chemistry, and um, very much just focused on the arts and English. And now, you know, when I came to, to re-study it in my 30s to become a psychotherapist and learning about neuroscience, and now recently more understanding um, biology and, and stuff like that, and how amazing our bodies are, you know, just how fascinating our bodies are, and, and realizing I completely, you know, it's that classic cutting off your nose to spite your face. It didn't give myself a chance and just cut off a whole aspect of, of, of possible learning 
and um, that's the example I give with the kids. And so really how important it is for us to, to A, recognize your behaviors, because that's, what, that's what's great about doing the program is the kids get to, to make something unconscious conscious. And that's what I've learned with working with children is that it's really important to make things explicit because otherwise they internalize and make all sorts of stories up and it all gets a bit confused and twisted. So, and the great thing is, like I said at the beginning, is the kids know what they're doing. <laughs> I've never had a kid go, I don't know what I do. They absolutely know. Yeah, and it's, it's always a really fun lesson with the teachers because the teachers know what they do as well. <laughs> but it's in making it explicit that they um, are able to see it. And okay, so when it... And when, it, when I started the program and, and started developing the ideas about it, it was just I really wanted to bring that sort of collaboration and support in a classroom so that if you say sitting beside Johnny and you know Johnny starts to chat when he doesn't understand something, instead of starting to chat with Johnny, you can say, hey, well, is there something you don't understand? Because we know that's your thing that you do. And, um, and seeing that happen. And that's what teachers have reported back is that actually when children... Um, can feel their innate value, because that's the first lesson we do, is looking at, okay, what do you find tricky, but also what do you find easy? And it's a real leveler for the whole class, and, and everybody claiming, actually, there is something I find easy to do. It might be skipping, it might be talking to my friends. I mean, that's one of the, I will share that, you know, that's one of the things I find easy to do, is talking to people, and that's now my job. But you didn't get graded on that in school. There's so much potential in us that we have no idea what it is when we're six or ten or whatever it is. Um, and then, so, oh, sorry, I've lost my trans again. <laughs> it is four o'clock in the morning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everybody has their own sort of what set of behaviours when, when you know, children as well as adults where, and reactions when we come to not understanding things or they're just going to blanketly throw down the gauntlet and walk away or yeah. yeah most of the time those behaviors don't involve sitting down and trying to work through you know absolutely not problems. yeah and it is just it's that's and that's something you can do with your own children is, is what is it that you do to you know noticing and and making it explicit because once it is explicit then you can do something about it yeah absolutely and maybe break breaking down a task and also you know, I find a lot of, I see a lot of parents struggling with perhaps age-appropriate stuff. People, yeah, you know, absolutely. high expectations, and not even high expectations, just unrealistic because, you know, a three-year-old doesn't understand why they shouldn't draw on the side of a car with a rock. I mean, that came <laughs> up just recently, recently in my circle of friends. And you know, you know, the dad really wanted to go down the punishment route. And but when you don't have it, you know, when you're dealing with a situation where you know didn't the child doesn't really understand, it just brings up a whole a whole new set of circumstances. So yes, and I guess then that sort of leads us naturally onto, you know, children then get frustrated um, when something is a challenge, and you know what what's going on for them. When that happens, and I guess what can we do to to assist them to resolve it? Well, it, the main thing, the one main underlying feeling is shame and um, feeling stupid, and that's actually where where I, the program I developed came from. Was working. I suddenly started seeing a lot of kids who felt this underlying feeling of feeling stupid and the shame that they went to, I mean, crippling for some of them. And there was one particular session where um, I worked with a child and he was, he, he could literally collapse into the shame. And we realized once we were able to talk about it and bring it through to what was happening, was that there was this, there was a moment, a point of when it went into an absolute, described as a tornado of confusion. And I think we really play down how awful it feels with kids, you know, um, that feeling is huge. And then what we did was then unpack what happened for that child. And then I unpacked it for other kids and stuff. And that's why the program's called What Happens at the Point of Not Understanding. There's this moment when we that shame comes in. And how I describe it to kids is it will always be there. You, you're, like, and that's why Bob and Bill, the old men, are there because they, you're going to have, you could, there's going to be things you don't understand all of the time. That's just part of life. 
but what you what you do next is what's important. So you can, and I describe like if you're lighting a match, you light the match and it just the flame goes up, and you can let it run, which is to go into your behaviours of frustration or wanting to go into something else, whatever it is that you do, or you can go, ah, I don't understand. I'm going into those feelings and then blow it out. And that you, that's where the breath comes in. It's very important for coming back to you or saying, and also using your cognition, I don't understand. Because what's happening when you go into the, all those feelings of shame, the, the cortisol, the whole, the whole circuit hits off, what you lose is your thinking. You lose your thinking. So what you want to do is turn your thinking back on. You want to do your breathing and say, okay, I don't get this. I need some help. And, you know, that's we actually practice that. I need some help because we're just we don't tend to see adults role modeling that we don't seem tend to see to adults role modeling that they're making mistakes and being open about it so it's it's really about role modeling all of those things and as far as helping kids when they're in that shame is just is to name it okay I can see this is you've really gone into a horrible feeling right now let's take a break change your movement that's a really big one like quite often, you know, people start to slump, they get really down into it. So actually sitting up, changing the way you're, you're being, because that thing just stops that thought, whatever you're running with. The actual movement means you can't think that. Right in that second, you get a moment where you can make another thought, you can make another choice. And it, so it's really enabling that ability to make the next choice, the more responsible choice. Absolutely. I mean, we all become... We all have times of frustration and, and certainly it's a really hard emotion to deal with. And imagine if you're yeah. you know, a young child with a, you know, your brain is not fully developed yet no. and, you know, a range of emotions that you don't really know what to do with. So when the frustration comes, it can be overwhelming and, yeah. you know, supporting them to kind of work through that. And, and I hear what you're saying about language as well, really saying it out loud. I can see that you're yeah. frustrated. I can see that you don't understand, but that's okay. And, you know, here's, yeah. here's maybe what we're going to do is really important. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I have to put my hands up and say, you know, it, this is easy with other kids, <laughs> other people's children. Yeah. With my own daughter, I get so frustrated. I get frustrated myself. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form. And I think we have to acknowledge that as parents. There's a dynamic between us and our children. And um, often that comes from our investment in our children. You know, I, I'm not attached to other people's children or the kids I work with. I care about them. I want them to do well. But I, I have a different dynamic with them. And when your kids are doing their homework, when they're older and stuff like that, you know, or I can see she's not concentrating, I get frustrated. <laughs> but what I do is I talk about that. <laughs> that wasn't great. Sorry. <laughs> and sort of saying it out loud and nominating it and going, okay, let's let's look at what that was about. And, it, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that, that say that homework isn't, isn't, doesn't add a lot of value um, to the academic outcomes of children. And I do, you know, because of the dynamics we, we get in, because we're so um, invested in kids, is um, in our own children's that it can become quite fraught sometimes. I'm sure some of your listeners might relate to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Well, it's it's a never-ending subject for parents, I guess, and I even read recently about parents posting that they do more homework now than they did when they when they were 14-year-olds themselves because helping their children with homework and, yeah, it's sort of... It does seem to be a, a big topic out there. I mean, for yeah. me personally, I've always been about, I think, from the beginning, um, really fostering that love of learning for my children. Mm. So I yeah. think if you, can, if you can develop a love of learning, that, that, that's something that will stay with you throughout your whole life. So, you know, it brings us to some important points about, you know, how parents can foster that connection with learning, that love of learning, and, you know, how to support their child's or, or and children and let them become more engaged when the, when the not understanding process comes out. What are your thoughts on that, Vanessa? Um, my, just yesterday I had an amazing example of this, um, of what's inside our kids. They are so all-knowing anyway. 
And I think we, we, we get caught up in thinking we've got to put it in, <laughs> we've got to put all this information into you, um, rather than sitting in a place of knowing that they are connected to this universe. There's, there's some, you know, when we look at the universe and look at how everything is, there is an intelligence here, always, and we're part of that. And there's this intelligence in us that we just need to bring out. And um, when you give kids the opportunity, like I give the, when I'm working with from year one, we, I, we use all the proper words, you know, it's frontal, prefrontal cortex, it's the mammalian brain, it's the reptilian brain, and they absolutely love it. And, you know, when I first sort of presented this to, to teachers to do it, they were like, oh, I don't know if we should do, you know, use the words they won't understand. But absolutely they do, and they love being given that, um, given, given that back to them, you know, going, we, we're having high expectations in a, in a good way, you know. Um, and yesterday we were in a class and I was te teaching about the neurons and how they the pathways get created and <clears throat> part of what you know that love of learning I think is about comes back to the love of ourselves and the fact of realizing we are in these amazing bodies when you look at the body it, it's extraordinary you know we've got a hundred billion neurons in our brain just that is incredible and and so in that giving that back to them and and saying that to them that sort of ignites this wonder about themselves and and just yesterday we were talking about it and this one girl she, she's they're nine eight nine year olds and she said you know i've been thinking about this question for a while you know but how did how did we come to be here and how do we how do those neurons be in our head and 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 then she said you know and i know some people talk about god and but then who made god and then some other child started talking about the big bang theory and it was just like, it was beautiful. You could just see their brains just <laughs> going and lighting and that excitement and fascination. And, you know, it was like confirmation yet again that it's all in there. We just need to give them the environment that supports them to do that. And that, that environment is one where you're just holding them as the adults. You know, you're just creating a safe space, a safe place to explore what's already there. And, and allowing that out, and that to me is that sort of the magic. And so that's created, like, go sort of go back to the beginning question about what is, how do we grow the brain? You know, we grow it through relationship. It's the quality of our relationship. So your child naturally will be curious, naturally wants to learn. And if that's not happening, it's invariably because of the system that they're in, you know, that, that's stopping that natural curiosity. So, I mean, all, most of us kid, our kids have to go to school. Some might be homeschooled or something like that. But we, we, we have to allow them the tools to, to sort of be in that system and maintain that curiosity, maintain that ability. I mean, I have like a picture of the universe on our dining room table. are constantly sort of little reminders of who we are and what we come from. And while we're, hold, while we're able to hold that sort of bigger picture, it sort of helps with everything to me. That's, that's how I do it anyway. No, that sounds like a, a great idea. And um, I want to keep typing in those questions as well while we are speaking to you, Vanessa. And I sure. think it ties back, and I'm going to skip a slide here and skip on to something that you've, you've talked about earlier, but I think is relevant to what you were just saying then is role modeling and the fact that somebody told I mean somebody told me very early on in the piece that you know we really parents carers the people closest to our children are role models for everything that our children do and you know a reflection they are a reflection of us and possibly, quite possibly, if we don't like some way that our child is talking or behaving or acting and not in every case but maybe sometimes it is because it's something that they've seen from us. So can you talk a bit about how truly important us as role models really are? Yeah, sure. I, I think we, we, we don't really um, connect with how important this is. and. I've seen it time and time again with my own daughter, where I, if I step up the love for myself, where I step up the care for myself, then she will step it up. Without any words being spoken, she'll start taking a bit more care with her room. 
you know, and they, they seem like small things, but I know I'm sure all parents will notice those are quite big things, keeping a, a child's bedroom tidy, all the, those sorts of things that we, we're constantly on. But I did a little experiment a little while ago where I just upped up actually expressing my love for her and my husband when I came in the door, where I just literally went and said hello, but in a, in a true way, not just a hi, how was your day, actually connecting. And it didn't, wasn't like a big, deep, meaningful. <laughs> You know, maybe a touch on the shoulder, but just actually being present. And um, my, both of them responded because they didn't know I was doing this little experiment by tidying their bedroom. The bedrooms were just clear of mess. It was I couldn't believe it. And it was, sort of, but it was really confirmation for me of how important I was and how my connection to myself was and how I was looking after myself was that it actually impacts everything. And with the role modeling for children, with learning, you know, being open about how you're learning, what, that this is an ongoing process, <laughs> you know, this is a lifelong journey, um, that you are interested in, in things that you, you look at life with that curiosity. And, you know, that's one of those, you know, things that we do tend to lose as adults. We, we tend to become can, you don't obviously not necessarily, but can really become quite rigid in what we do and what we do in life rather than being open and um, curious and, and wondering about things and staying engaged with things. And, um, but absolutely for me, the key thing for parenting is, is how much I love myself and care for myself. And that, without a doubt, is you know how I cared for myself last year is different to how I care for myself this year and it'll be different again next year, it'll be deepening because I think for most of us, you know, it comes back to that self-worth issues, all of those sorts of things, is that because we spend our whole life looking outside of ourselves for recognition and we're not necessarily always brought up with the most loving things going on, we easily can lose that feeling that we're important, that we're precious and it's really reconnecting back to, to that baby again within us, you know, that how you would treat them, you know, especially with mums and dads that, you know, everything comes before, before their needs, you know, the, the bills need to be paid, work needs to happen, the kitchen needs to be cleaned, the, everything needs to happen and very quickly we become, become bottom of the list, you know, and um, that is felt. And that is felt by the, our children and, um, and what they're unconsciously hearing from you is that you don't matter. So it's, and then that, that then is creating what they will learn about themselves. And I remember seeing, I remember when Abby May was about two or something like that, and we were getting, it was winter, and we were getting um, our coats, getting, I was getting her coat on. And, and I just realized everything was always focused on her like getting her coat, making her gloves, making it, and I always came second. And I was like, what am I teaching her? <laughs> it's like, I actually need to be getting my coat on, my gloves, and then looking after her. And then she'll be seeing that you're important, that how you are with yourself is important, and then others. But we've grown up in a society where we think that's selfish. And whereas to me, it's and what I'm learning is actually the most precious Thing we can give our children is to actually care enough ourselves, and that's that's where I am with it in the online process. Oh, absolutely! Role modeling, modeling is so important, and yes, if you don't show them that you love and respect yourselves, yourself, it's hard for them to understand. And something else that you flagged earlier when it comes to learning around this as well is admitting mistakes, admitting frustration, admitting our own lack of yeah. understanding. So when our children are struggling to learn, you know, if we don't sort of show them that sometimes we struggle too or we have frustrations, then, you know, they might just see us as some sort of, you know, unrealistic, perfect people, whereas, you yeah. know, I think that that is a natural thing and I don't know why people don't say it out loud a bit more, you know, I don't mm. actually understand that or I struggle or, you know, and especially admitting a mistake as well, I think, you know, yeah. admit that you've made a mistake so that they know that mistakes get made and it's okay to make a mistake. 
Yeah, and it's a fabric of learning. <laughs> it's a fabric of, of life. And and the thing is that, and what I've absolutely observed in, in my life is that when we go into the role of being mum or the role of being dad, there's nothing, if we're thinking about connection, then you're connecting to an ideal. And that's really empty and confusing and intangible and... But when a parent is just being themselves, so warts and all, you know, not putting on a show or you know doing parenting in a way that you weren't parented or that you know reactions to parenting, but rather just being yourselves, that is that is what children can then connect to because you're there, you're connected, you have something to connect to, and it's not an ideal that I'm connecting to, it's my mum, it's a person, it's it's somebody who I love and and that is secure. You know, you feel really safe and secure when that the person that you're regulating off is totally cool in their own skin. What's an all? Not a perfect skin, you know. I, re I really feel that's it's a fundamental importance to not yes, play the I, role of mum. I agree. I definitely agree. And You've given some good examples of lo along the way, and and I love I love hearing your stories and real life examples. I'm sure we can all relate. If we everybody who's listening, participants out there, if we're looking at making a shift in our children's learning, and and I would think obviously trying to foster that love of learning. Have you got mm -hmm. any examples of? Um, children that have made a shift in their approach to their learning and maybe how, how that was supported? Yeah, I've um, just recently I've trained somebody up to do to do the project because um, that's how it's going to develop now as people will be able to become facilitators. And so um, we just were working with a year two class and there were two particular boys who were, you know, very challenging in the classroom setting, um, quite, you know, Bit hyperactive, constant interruption, um, unable to settle at all, um, very challenging in a teaching situation. And we were doing the doing the, um, the the project, which is essentially six lessons. That goes the first lesson is um, that wonderful quote by Einstein, which is um, everybody is born a genius, but if you ask a fish to climb a tree, you'll spend his whole life thinking he's stupid. And that's the lesson where they do what, what they find tricky and what they find easy. And so it's a total leveller. And then they've learnt about the brain and then the neurons. And by lesson four, this one particular child, had complete, he completely changed. He was settled. He was engaged. He was interested. He was quiet. You know, he was, he was like a model student. He was, he was incredible. And you sort of find it, you know, I can always be kind of like surprised because there it's only once a week the you know the session, and the, the the amount of impact it can have. And I was talking to um, a teacher actually, and I just I was doing some um, video recording for my website, and and I. Just said, oh, how, how, what have you noticed? What, what things have happened? And um, she, and it was so surprising, so interesting. From the very first lesson, the whole dynamics of the class had changed, and that the children who were, were happy to help each other, so it built collaboration, and because um, everybody was sort of more accepting that yeah, we, we all are equal, we all do find things easy, we do all find things um, tricky. Because so, one of the things I found really interesting was the children that do very well in the system. Um, in the sense that they do well at math, they do well at, at literacy and English, actually have just as un unhealthy relationships with not understanding. Um, if not sometimes more so, go into intense shame and um, have adapted ways of not showing anybody that they don't understand, so they pretend, um, which can then be very unhealthy later on. Um, but So these children were able to in art, it was really interesting, she said the art teacher, so this is an outside teacher, came in about lesson four again as well and just said, what, what's happening? What's, these kids are totally different in that they were willing to give everything a go and they were willing to um, try things. And, and she showed me one art of one child. You know when you do the, um, you have like the rainbow colour behind and then the black on top and you scratch out and you can see the rainbow. 
underneath and this child had done a drawing, it was fine, it was nice. And then she showed me the same child to, who, did the, who did the same sort of exercise about three weeks later after doing the program and it was completely, I couldn't actually believe it was the same kid. The level of detail and what she said, you know, she cared and she was okay to care and that's, you know, that's another that I can't be bothered, that sort of do something quickly so it's done. It's another one of those behaviours reacting from not wanting to feel stupid and, and not wanting to um, get into that shame. And I think all that happens in the program is you're just, I'm just literally making explicit what's actually going on in the learning process, but holding always that you, you're valuable whether you find maths easy or if you find it tricky. You're not less if you find it tricky. And if you're doing that with your child and you're constantly, you know, if that's, if that's how you feel about yourself, you know, that's again comes back to that role modeling, then your child will feel they are valued and that, that whether they're finding this tricky or easy is part of the process. And that's where, you know, the neuron, teaching kids about neurons and how the neuronal pathways um, link up and how it's a process, you know, it just doesn't happen straight away. For some kids, it may happen a bit quicker. But that's all that's happening. They're just getting the pathway quicker. And like with kids who are a little bit older, you know, I give them the example of, you know, when you were three, you couldn't spell your name. And there's always some kid who says, oh, yes, I could. <laughs> that's very funny. Um, and But yet now you're in, you're in year two or whatever and you can write your name. You don't even think about it. You just write your name. That's the neurons. You've now got that neuronal pathway that you've, you, and now you'll always have it. But some of you might have learned to write your name quite quickly and others you might have just got it recently. But now you've got it, you've got it. And I think that sort of takes the pressure off and, and making it explicit to children that you do learn and your brain is growing because I think a lot of kids because we don't talk about it and don't make it explicit, think that you're stupid if you don't. If I can't write, then I'm dumb, and, I, and I'm stupid. And it's like a complete cutoff, done. And with the example of the kid learning to write, you know, I said you wouldn't you wouldn't get angry with a three-year-old because they can't write the word the. Word the. Like, no, that would be, why would you do that? <laughs> they can't do it. I said, but then why are you getting angry and cross with yourself at seven for not being able to do something? And they, it really clicks with them. It's like, ah, oh, because you're little. You know, you're in a process and, and it's okay. You're going to drop things. You'll learn something one day and you'll, you'll forget it the next day. And, and it's just a process. And um, to, re to relax, <laughs> to be okay with that, um, that's, that's, yeah, that's the key for me. Yes. We're getting a few questions, uh, Vanessa, about, and you've spoken about programs that you run in schools, but um, okay. uh, she's interested in, in what sort of resources and programs and, and resources that you have to draw on that they can use in their own life. So if you could talk a little bit about that as we're heading toward the, the end of our time today. Sure. How, how is it possible it's the end? It's gone so quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Currently, with so the program that I've developed, um, it's just it's just it's been me and um, some teachers at schools in London, and I'm in the process of how that then gets to more children essentially, and into more classrooms. And what we've realised works is actually somebody who delivers it in the school, so a facilitator. So that person can be in the school or it's somebody that's trained up who comes into the school. And that's what we're um, developing at the moment. I have got a friend in Sydney who um, really wants to get me out there to train her up. Um, so there's those sort of possibilities. And um, I mean, if, the, if parents were interested, I could um, put together, actually basically teach, do a teaching module on what I teach the kids um, as an online um, learning in some way, um, so that's possible. If there was that sort of interest, I'd be happy to develop that. Um, as far as other resources, you know, um, the book I referred to at the beginning, Why Love Matters, I think it's essential reading for for anybody really, because it really supports what we innately know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, science is catching up, with, but we already knew that that actually. But it's exciting and it's interesting. It's fascinating to find out actually how that works. 
and what happens in the brain and, and why I think the more we know about why it's important for us to feel secure, to feel safe, to, to know how to connect to our breath, um, then that then informs our child's learning just from what we've already been talking about just by the fact that we are living what we, we can then teach our children. Our children see what we're living, they feel what we're living. That's the most important thing is how we live. Um, the gentle breathing technique is actually on my website. I think you've got a link to it. Yeah, yeah, you've got it there. Um, it's, a, it's got its own tab, so you can go to that and link out. Um, yes, that's all I can think of for that. Well, that yes, that sounds good, and I've put up your website there. So, sort of final yeah. tip or a summary about supporting supporting our children in their learning, fostering that love of learning. Um, do you just want to reiterate some of those those top points that you've mentioned throughout the hour? Yeah, sure. I think one of them is about our investment in our children's outcome. To really not get caught up in that, and I, like you said, you know, it's really hard right now because there's so much pressure from lots of people, kids, to, to, for kids to get places um, academically, to hit milestones, to do all of these things. But the more we are invested in them, the, the, the more that dynamic, that unhealthy dynamic plays out. So rather than be invested in them, invest in your own livingness, <laughs> in your own self-care, your own self-love, and creating that secure and safe space for them to be in at home so that their home environment is, is, is a real place of nurture and um, building of that foundation of love in themselves and that you really value them for who they are. And I was thinking about this with coming into um, the, the session and part of our problem, you know, thing that goes on in society is that we, we value certain jobs more, lawyers, doctors, accountants, and we don't value so much, say, a street cleaner or something like that. But that's because we see life as um, in those terms rather than um, the quality that we bring. Because if we really focused on the quality of our interactions and, and how that is and that knowing that that love builds those relationships, that builds those those brain, the brain to grow, we would value the street cleaner as much as we would value the lawyer or the doctor um, because it's actually, you know, when you're picking up and cleaning the street and you're in the quality of love, then that's affecting the entire environment for somebody else to walk on. If that person really hates their job and they're really angry when they're walking around picking up all the litter and everything like that, that's what everybody will feel. So if we valued things more equally, then we wouldn't be so invested in our children doing really well academically. We would rather be invested in how our children conduct themselves and the quality of how they're being and being themselves, knowing, holding that knowing that then Whatever is there will come out. You know, it's it's a coming out. It's not us putting it all in and trying to get them to be something that they're not or somewhere they need to go. Rather, really fostering it in ourselves that we, we we are as equally important as our child. That we how we love and care for ourselves will be the ultimate marker of how they then live their lives. And if you feel you're valuable. And if you feel that you're important and what you have to say is important, then as, as is everybody else's, then you, you will be successful, <laughs> whatever it is that you choose to do. So true. Trying. so true. It's very hard to, and we can't emphasise enough, perhaps in today's society, that academic excellence isn't everything. So becoming um, a, a lawyer or a doctor, there's so many more valuable jobs, like the, the, yeah. the underpaid teachers who spend the majority oh, of children's day with them and still we unfortunately mm -hmm. don't pay, I believe, what they're worth for that time, oh, and effort, time and effort that they put in. So, yes, that's a really good point. And Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us so early from the United Kingdom, from London today and um, and thank you to all the participants and the questions that you sent through and I hope that you do have answers to your questions and if you don't then you search as we displayed Vanessa's website. Um, we've got some upcoming webinars up on the screen from um, uh, parents at work so we've always got regular webinars running every every month and some special events, a really interesting special event coming up 
uh, techno kids parenting in a digital age, which is going to be quite interesting and something that is very relevant to all of us as parents and carers these days. So thank you again, everyone, for joining in, and thank you, Vanessa, and I'm sure that you'll have some people following up and checking into your website, and I really hope that everybody's gained something from today's webinar that they can take away and put into practice in their life today. Thank you for joining us here on today's Parents at Work webinar. Goodbye.